This morning, we're going to see the beauty of resistance. When everyone is doing the wrong thing and someone stands up to do the right thing instead, because her conscience has been awakened by God and she refuses to conform. When that happens, it's beautiful. Sophie Scholl is a name that too few of us know. I'm going to tell you her story today. Maybe after hearing it, you'll pass it along to someone else, a neighbor or your children. Sophie was a young woman who, along with a few friends, stood up to the Nazis at a time when almost no one in Germany would. Early in 1943, her conscience convicted her, and she joined with a small group who tried to wake up their peers and encourage them to resist. On February 18th, she was arrested while classes were letting out at the University of Munich, where she was a biology and philosophy student. Four days later, she was tried and executed that very day. They took her life for resisting evil, but not the power of her story. Sophie shows us what it looks like when someone faithfully resists what is wrong. How beautiful it is when a Christian's conscience compels her to stand up when everyone else is bowing down, no matter what it costs her. As long as evil persists in this world, good men and women will have to resist its influence, and when they do, they will get themselves into real trouble, especially when their leaders have no regard for God. The opening chapters of the book of Daniel tell the story of four young prisoners. The city of Jerusalem had been captured by King Nebuchadnezzar's army. His troops had rounded up the Jewish families and brought them to Babylon. Listen to what happens. This is verse 3 in the first chapter. The king commanded his palace master Ashpenaz to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility. Young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. Out of all of the prisoners, the king wants the best and the brightest brought to him. Young men from the right families with the best educations, handsome and strong, the influencers. Look at why. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In ancient Babylon, the Chaldeans were the intellectuals. Their literature and their language formed the worldview of the people. The king wants to fill the minds of these young men with the values of Babylon. It's a re-education camp. Listen. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Everything that goes into making these young men who they are in their most formative years will be controlled. All so they can serve in the king's court. All so they can serve the purposes of the empire. Now here is where we meet the four young men who will show us what resistance looks like. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. Now, these four names have special meaning in Hebrew, each one expressing the worldview of the people of Israel. In Hebrew, Daniel means God is my judge. 
God is the true judge of all people. He judges with equity, with mercy and love. Hananiah means God has been gracious. The God of Israel is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, gracious in every way. Mishael means who is like our God. No one is like our God. All others are false gods, power-hungry, siding with the strong, twisting justice for the powerful. Our God cares for the weak and the oppressed. Azariah means God has helped. In the past and in the future, God is the one who helps. These four young men have identities built around who God is. The worldview of God's people is in their names. Watch what happens. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. New names, all reference to the God of Israel removed. Now they are given names that express the virtues of the Babylonian deities, Bel, Marduk, and Nabu. The strategy is to remake their identities according to the worldview of Babylon, removing the true God and filling their hearts and minds with a new set of values instead. Whenever God's people find themselves in an empire that is hostile to him, this is how it goes. The authorities will seek to replace the truth with the language and literature of their Babylon. This is Sophie Scholl. Born in Germany in 1921 to a Lutheran family, at age 12, she joined the local Hitler Youth Program just like all her friends. That year, Hitler had become the chancellor, and he shut down all the existing youth organizations, the Boy Scouts, church groups, civic clubs of every kind, and folded them into his national youth programs. Enrollment went from 50,000 to 2 million in 1933. Sophie and her friends went on camping trips. They ate and exercised together. They learned about being good German citizens. They wore uniforms and sang songs about their country with the promise of a better future for all those who were loyal to their leaders. They also learned about the dangers of racial impurity. There was a book that they read around the campfire, The Poisonous Toadstool. You have to learn to tell the difference between edible and poisonous mushrooms. The Jews, the book taught, may look like us, but they're poisonous. Only when we're rid of them will we be strong again. It was a long road that got the German people to this point. A crushing defeat in World War I. 55% of their men killed or wounded. The collapse of their government and the institutions that made them proud and secure. A failed attempt at a new democracy in the Weimar Republic, economic devastation following the Treaty of Versailles, and then a decade of resentment. All the while, a new political party slowly gaining prominence with a promise to restore Germany to its former glory. And they had an explanation for the troubles, too. It was the Jews who betrayed us, they claimed. 
They're the villains. Their materialism, immorality, and wickedness is what got us here. All Hitler had to do is reach back and grab a hold of the anti-Semitism that Europeans had embraced for centuries, blaming the Jews for the death of Jesus. He used it on the young people of Germany to build an army. He taught them the language and the literature of his Babylon, and it worked on almost everybody. Sophie had a group of friends who knew that this is wrong. But like most Germans, they didn't know how wrong. But then in 1942, she enrolled at the University of Munich, where her brother Hans was a student. And her boyfriend Fritz was shipped out to the Eastern Front. As a parting gift, she gave him two volumes of John Henry Newman's sermons. When he wrote to her, he reported on what he saw with his own eyes at the Warsaw Ghetto. 200,000 civilians murdered. Jews and Poles dumped into mass graves. He added a quote from one of Newman's sermons. We know by whom we were created and that we stand in a relationship of moral obligation to our Creator. Conscience gives us the capacity to distinguish between good and evil. We know what's right. It's up to us to resist what's wrong. During that first semester, Sophie finds a leaflet posted on the bulletin board in one of the academic buildings, the White Rose. It's an argument for passive resistance of the Nazis based on the philosophical and biblical principles that she had embraced. It described the German people as so devoid of individuality that they have become an unthinking and cowardly mob, a shallow, irresolute herd of opportunists who've had all the marrow sucked from their bones. It sounded right to Sophie. So she finds her way to a secret meeting of the White Rose, only to discover that her brother Hans and his friends are the authors of the leaflet. She's in, ready to stand against the language and the literature of the empire by communicating the worldview and values that are true. She writes a letter to Fritz and asks him to steal a duplicating machine from the military unit to help expand their efforts. He refuses. You'll lose your head if you're not careful, he tells her. Someone has to stand up for what's right no matter what it costs. In every age and in every place, God's people need to learn to stand up and resist. We are influenced by the language and the literature of the empire we live in, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and like Sophie Scholl and her friends. 
But just as it was for the vast majority of Germans, it won't be obvious to us. We'll think we know exactly who the enemy is and where the lies are, since almost all of us have given our minds over to the media we consume, which has made an industry out of scaring us, the newscasters repeating the narratives which paint the other side as the villain. The irony is, deep down, both sides are formed by the language and the literature of Babylon. Try this. Stop thinking about how the other side needs to change and ask yourself the question that you must ask. How have I conformed to the values and the worldview that is at odds with the one that Jesus gives to me? Let's try this together. Put yourself first. That's the worldview that just about everyone in our empire naturally accepts. Not just irreligious people, but folks in the church as much as anyone else. Your feelings are the most important thing in determining what you do. Your comfort is the number one value to pursue. Your happiness, your income, your security, your way of life, the quality of your neighborhood, your city, your country, all of it comes first. You come first. This is the language and the literature of our culture. And then Jesus says, put the other fellow first. In everything you do, think about how you would want to be treated and then let that guide your way with the other, even the other on the other side. In our environment, behaving like this will require enormous resistance. Not only outside of the church, but among people who profess faith in Jesus too, because we also have been conditioned to put ourselves first. Here's another value of our empire. Hate your enemies. Do everything you can to humiliate, discredit, slander, and destroy those who disagree with you. If someone else is wrong, dismiss them. It's okay to fuel your disdain. They're wrong. That's the worldview in the empire we live in. And many of us who profess to follow Jesus have adopted this outlook completely. Listen to Jesus. You have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The only way to do that is to resist the value that almost everyone around us has accepted. Following Jesus will put us at odds with the language and literature of Babylon. Think of the past few months, the conflict and strife that has emerged. It's as plain as ever that we need to change. Not them, we need to change. Those who have taken up the name of Jesus and follow him as their Lord, have loads of resistance work to do. We need to change, no matter what it costs us, and it will cost us. Jesus promised that. If we resist the empire, it will not be easy. Doing what's right when most folks are doing what's wrong gets you into trouble. Let's come back to the story of Daniel and his friends. After his initial efforts, King Nebuchadnezzar intensifies the pressure. He commissions a great golden statue of himself, gathers all of the people, and then demands that they bow down and worship before the image. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
They know that only God is worthy of worship, so they refuse. Everyone else bows down. They remain standing. So they're brought to the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Do you dare to resist me? He offers them a second chance. Conform or die in a furnace of fire, he tells them. Their response shows us what faithful resistance looks like. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. No matter what happens, we will not conform, even if we die doing it. We will resist your pressure to bow down. God may deliver us and God may not. We don't know. But no matter what happens, we will not depart from God's way. This is the kind of resistance that we ought to aspire to. Not betting that if we do what God wants, it'll go our way, but willing to accept whatever consequences come for doing what's right. The king loses it. He orders the furnace heated to seven times its normal temperature. The young men are tied up by his strongest guards. When they near the opening, it's so hot, the guards are burned up, and the three young men fall into the furnace. Listen to what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a God. When we resist evil, God is with us in whatever fire we have to face. Maybe we will survive as these boys did, but maybe not. That part's up to God. Faithful resistance, that part's up to us. History is full of faithful Christians who've lost their lives resisting what is evil. What the world needs is Christians who are willing to reject the language and literature of Babylon, even if it costs them to do so. If we resist, we will suffer, but not without God's presence and help in the fire. By the end of January 1943, more than 10,000 white rose leaflets had been distributed around Munich, in telephone booths and bus stations, in the college lounges and on the bulletin boards. Nazi atrocities grew, so the group decided to expand. They would use the postal service, traveling to cities in the south to mail the leaflets. Their reach would grow, and the Gestapo would think that the organization was much bigger than it was. In February, Sophie's brother and two friends 
Shurik, and Willie mounted a graffiti campaign. On three separate nights, they went into the streets under the cover of darkness with stencils that one of the professors who had joined their group taught them to make, paint mixed with tar so that it couldn't be washed off, and they tagged 70 different buildings. Down with Hitler in black letters six feet tall on Nazi offices, on libraries, and on churches throughout the city. The Gestapo were absolutely infuriated. On the morning of February 18th, Sophie and her brother cut class. The night before, they'd been up late, putting in extra hours, printing up their seventh leaflet. Listen. Hitler and his regime must fall so that Germany may live. Make up your minds, and when you have decided, act. They entered the main academic building through a back door. Classes were still in session. They carried a briefcase and a suitcase filled with the leaflets, leaving piles in front of every door where the students were inside learning. They're up on the third floor as the classes begin to empty out, and Sophie grabs the remaining pamphlets and throws them over the balcony into the atrium below, which is filling up with students. And as she does so, a maintenance manager spots her. Hans runs in one direction. Sophie darts into the girls' bathroom, hiding the key to the studio where they were producing the pamphlets, but they're both arrested. They're brought to jail, the court hearing is scheduled for four days later. The judge is harsh in his interrogation. At first, he thinks Sophie is innocent, but as he presses her, trying to get her to turn over her friends from the White Rose, she refuses and then assumes full responsibility for herself. There's a court transcript which records Sophie's explanation for their actions. Listen to this. Somebody, after all, had to make a start, she said. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare to express themselves as we did. Can you imagine that girl in that courtroom, the courage to resist? Then she asks the judge a question right to his face. You know as well as we do that the war is lost. Why are you so cowardly that you won't admit it? The judge answered her question with his verdict. At 5 p.m. on that very day, February 22nd, Sophie, her brother Hans, and their friend Christoph are executed. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. That's what faithful resistance looks like. The values and the worldview that are shaped by the gospel don't fit with our world's way of measuring success. Jesus says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes it looks like evil is winning. In the end, it never will. After she was executed, a group of chemistry students from the university 
armed with only one typewriter, copied out hundreds of the leaflets over the following days. Friends in other cities did the same. And then a German lawyer smuggled one through Scandinavia to the UK. In June, the leaflet got into the hands of the Royal Air Force. They created millions of copies, renaming it the Manifesto of the Students of Munich. They dropped them all over Germany. Here's God's promise. You take this to heart. The way of the wicked will perish, but the way of the righteous will shine like the dawn forever. Be beautiful. Resist the language and the literature of the empire. Shine your light in the darkness and many will glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bright and beautiful examples of what it looks like to resist faithfully. People like Sophie Scholl and her brother Hans and their friends. Young men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, we know and trust deep down that it's hard for us to see the way that we are being influenced by the empire that we live in. Help us have hearts and minds and ears that are open to the words of Jesus. Teach us to remember what he taught. And then give us the courage to stand up and resist where we need to. God, the world is such a mess still. We place it into your hands now and we ask and pray that you would bring peace, that you would teach your people what to stand up for, that you would help us be good witnesses to the gospel, and that you would use our witness in whatever way you see fit. Make us brave and courageous and help us stand up for what is right in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.